Welcome to the PeedsNP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. I'm your host, Becky Carson, Clinical Assistant Professor at Catholic University of America in Washington, DC, and we're gonna continue our series on babies by talking about vision screening. Many providers find assessing vision to be a difficult task in an infant because they barely stay awake, they squint their eyes shut when you try to examine them, and they obviously can't tell you what shapes they see on a chart. But it's an important part of the well visit because causes of deprivation amblyopia are more frequent in the first year of life. Ocular pathology can develop very rapidly and left untreated, they can result in profound vision loss that's difficult to reverse. Today, I'm gonna talk about the vision screenings you should do in your physical exam in the newborn and infant period. Let's start with some basics of vision. Babies have poor eye development at birth. Their visual acuity is about 2400, which means they can only see about eight to 12 inches away, approximately the distance from the baby at the breast to mom's face. Visual acuity improves over time, but children won't have 20-20 vision until about kindergarten. Visual maturity develops in infants as they respond to lights and the high contrast edges of objects. From these well-defined images, they then form an understanding of what the object is. Vision screening typically occurs at well visits as part of the child's preventative health care. In the early days, the most relevant history question to ask is, do you have any concerns about how your baby sees? This question, along with your exam, can clue you into whether you need to pursue any eye-related history questions, such as maternal infections, family history, exposures, injuries, etc. As you begin your physical exam, start with a general inspection of the eye, eyelids, and face. Since newborn babies often keep their eyes closed, you can hold them upright, which will encourage them to open their eyes. Check for symmetry, size, spacing, and the angle of palpebral fissures. Any abnormality here might point you toward a syndrome or other condition that might warrant further evaluation. For instance, children with Down syndrome have upward slanting palpebral fissures and bilateral epicanthal folds. Keep in mind though that epicanthal folds are also a very normal finding in very young children and people of Asian descent, so this finding alone isn't concerning. Note whether the eyes are normally spaced. A small distance between the eyes, or hypotellurism, can be suggestive of fetal alcohol syndrome, while wide-spaced eyes, or hypertellurism, can be worrisome for craniosynostosis syndromes, median facial clefting, and some other genetic syndromes. You should look at the size of the globe itself. Globe enlargement can suggest glaucoma and would be more concerning if there were also a history of tearing or photophobia. Continue with your inspection of the eyelids and note any structural abnormality, such as ptosis, capillary hemangiomas, and port wine stains, which are risk factors for amblyopia and other systemic diseases, and these need prompt referral to ophthalmology. Examine the conjunctiva and sclera, noting any erythema or color change. Blue sclera are commonly associated with osteogenesis imperfecta, or you might note a subconjunctival hemorrhage in a baby who had a particularly difficult birth. Next, examine the pupils and their reaction to light. Pupils should be symmetrically equal, round, and reactive to light, or pearl. Take note that they are pearl 
not perla. Accommodation is the process where a person can make changes in the refractive power of the eye as an object moves in order to continue to view it clearly. Remember, we test this at the end of the cardinal directions of extraocular movements by having the patient focus on your finger as it moves towards their nose and back away. The ability to accommodate is underdeveloped in newborns and will start to reach more adult levels around 16 to 20 weeks of age as they continue to mature. Acuity is difficult to assess in young infants. The gold standard for measuring visual acuity is recognition testing using a standardized chart like the Leia symbols. But we can't very well do this in a newborn, so how do you assess for acuity in infants? Well, there are some clinical clues that can tell us that eye development is progressing well until the child is old enough to cooperate with an exam. Infants from birth to two months should blink in response to a bright light. You'll notice this as you assess their pupils with the ophthalmoscope. Conversely, they should also open their eyes wide when you turn off the lights, like when you turn off the lights to assess the red reflex. This wide-eyed reaction is known as the eye-popping reflex. It's similar to a startle reflex and can tell you whether the patient has perception vision, meaning that they're responding to external stimuli. Parents should note that their newborn appears to regard their face when held close, which should eventually become a social smile around six to eight weeks. Poor eye contact in a full-term infant greater than eight weeks of age should prompt further assessment. The ability to fix and follow or track an object is generally present by about two to three months. At three months, babies will look at mirrors, pictures of faces, shapes, and colors more avidly. And they should be able to follow an object completely from one side to another, moving their head to continue to gaze at it. At four to five months, we see eye-hand control, which then becomes a fun game when they follow a dropped object. A six-month-old, nosy as they are, will move in order to see an object that goes out of sight. As you watch them track, you'll watch their extraocular movements. Examining ocular motility for strabismus or nystagmus is important to uncover any neurologic deficits or decreased vision. You might notice a disconjugate gaze with intermittent uncoordinated eye movements during the first few weeks of life. These cross eyes are common, transient, and should improve by two to four months. If the strabismus is ever persistent and fixed, or the intermittent strabismus persists beyond four months, you should refer this to ophthalmology. You can begin to use the corneal light reflex at about six months to assess for strabismus. This will be a useful screen until the child's able to cooperate for more subjective visual acuity assessment. Remember those epicanthal folds we mentioned earlier and how they can be totally normal? One reason they confuse providers is that prominent epicanthal folds or even a flat nasal bridge can create the illusion of strabismus called pseudoesotropia. But the corneal light reflex in these patients will be the same in both eyes, providing reassurance to the provider that no further management is needed. Last, but certainly not least, is the red reflex, which shows you the reflection of the retina through a clear pupillary axis. Actually, this might be the most important of the vision screening tools because it can be used to detect a number of high-risk conditions that can lead to amblyopia. 
you should start examining the red reflex in their first newborn exam and repeat it at every well visit. Turn the lights off and use your ophthalmoscope to assess each eye individually at a close distance of about a foot away, then step back to about two to three feet from the patient and assess both reflexes together for comparison. The red reflex should look an orangish red color, like when you've got a red eye in a photograph, and it should be symmetric in both sides. If the red reflex appears dull, opaque, asymmetric, white in color, has dark or light spots, or is absent, you should refer to an ophthalmologist immediately. Leukocoria is the finding of a white pupil, which can be unilateral or bilateral, and is concerning for retinoblastoma. Two-thirds of patients with retinoblastoma present in infancy, but if found early, retinoblastoma has about a 90% cure rate. The red reflex exam may also reveal cataracts with a dull or absent red reflex as the lens opacities block light from reaching the retina. Cataracts may be present at birth or develop and progress as a result of trauma, genetic conditions, or most commonly, an idiopathic etiology. Cataracts can cause significant amblyopia rather quickly, so urgent referral for treatment is recommended because the prognosis is improved if the patient gets earlier intervention. Asymmetry of the red reflex may be a signal of refractive error in one or both eyes. If you notice that one reflex is brighter than the other, you should refer the patient to ophthalmology so that the refractive error can be corrected with those darling pediatric glasses. With such a simple but high-stakes exam to detect ocular pathology and prevent permanent vision loss, you can see why the eye exam is an essential part of the pediatric provider's newborn and infant routine physical exam. If you're ever in doubt, don't hesitate to refer the patient to an ophthalmologist, preferably one with advanced training in pediatrics. I hope that you'll like, comment, and subscribe to the Peds NP, where we focus on the practical application of evidence-based practice. There is no financial support or conflict of interest in this or any episode of the Peds NP. You can see show notes and references at www.thepedsnp.com. Remember that this isn't just a podcast. You're helping babies see the world. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.